Interesting pre-show notes, by the way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Greg is back. Uh, sorry, everyone. But uh, we God love him. God damn it. Yeah, we love <laughs> him here. And Glad to be here. <laughs> Greg. Need that research of, desk. Anybody who knows Greg knows that one of Greg's favorite topics is ancient Egypt. So we thought we'd <laughs> throw him a bone with this one. We're going to be talking specifically about um, Pharaoh's curses, and even more specifically, the curse of King Tut's tomb. Uh, tombs in Egypt, there's been kind of a long history of ill uh, ill fortune related to them, but an important thing to consider here is... Oh, fuck. I'm going to have to do that again. I'm sorry. I... <laughs> I had no idea where I was Ooh. going. <laughs> the important thing to consider is uh, yeah. I'll think of it. <laughs> yeah. uh, they kind of suck. Yeah. Oh. oh, well. Magic living in a box <laughs> for the rest of time. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. This this is some of the most poorly put together notes. You can tell by the fact there's not even bullet points. Um, <laughs> uh, tombs in Egypt have kind of a long association with curses, but... An important thing to consider is that we didn't know what hieroglyphics said until like the mid to late 19th century when those the crack team of uh, Frenchmen decrypted it with the Rosetta Stone. Uh, before that, nobody really knew what the things on tombs said. There was like myths about this stuff, but it was more about kind of the handling of mummies and things from tombs as opposed to the tombs themselves. But Like process instructions? Like, here's Pardon? what we did to process... Like, you said it was... Oh, no. So, what we know now, there's some things that... Some of these tombs say things like... I've got two here. Two good examples. Any ruler who shall do evil or wickedness to this coffin, may Hemen not accept any goods he offers, and may his heir not inherit. And another one that was found was... As for all men who shall enter this my tomb, impure, there will be judgment. An end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird. I shall cast the fear of myself into him. Jesus. Some so, real Indiana Jones yeah, stuff yeah, right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, pe- so people, especially once this business with King Tut's tomb started kicking off, people were pretty freaked out about it. Uh, they all definitely drank the flavor aid. Yeah, it. I mean, from that point on, you make the association with anything bad that happens. To, I mean, I don't know any of the details that we're going to get in, so maybe I'll become a believer. But once you put that out there up front on the yard sign, anything negative associated with it, it's like, oh, shit. Right. So uh, 1922 is when Howard Carter discovers the tomb of King Tut. And this is in an area called the Valley of Kings, where a lot of pharaohs were buried over the years but up until this point most of them had been you gotta you gotta you gotta think a lot of them have been there thousands of years so there's a lot of time for grave robbers to pick through them pick them clean uh greg what do you know about the valley of kings what i know about the valley of kings is it's uh it's where modern luxor egypt is town of about five hundred thousand. uh it's also the location of theban necropolis which is a Necropolis on the west bank of the Nile in that area. And uh, for those unfamiliar, a necropolis is a large cemetery with elaborate tombs. So like a giant tomb complex, mm-hmm. which is derived from the ancient Greek 
like tunnels necropolis which is or city just of the multiple. dead so it's generally like a massive complex so like um pyramids are an example like giant fancy like fancy graves there's some in uh italy um but yeah there's some in persia looks like as well but just like ancient burial grounds like with like elaborate tombs that's kind of the whole overarching idea right for necropolis but gotcha. so the valley of the kings is uh like the location of one of the largest ones in the world which is uh thebes Cool. Or is it Thebes? I don't know. I like. I'm, I'm not familiar with the pronunciation. I've always heard exactly. Thebes, but like Greg and I heard a pronunciation of King Tut's full name that I had never heard before. I'd always heard Tutankhamun, and what was it? it was Tutankhamun? Yeah, Tutankhamun or something like that. <clears throat> so that was a shock to my system. But so I mean, now that I think about it, Tutankhamun is just like that. Sounds like you know, doesn't the yeah, westernized. Doesn't so like, westernized. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like Sacagawea. Like, oh dear, I don't even know if I want to hear the. I think that would destroy. Oh, the people! People think it's probably more like Sacagawea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. I'm going to stick with Sacagawea. Sorry. <laughs> so Howard Carter uh, is an archaeologist that is he's being funded by some folks back home in jolly old England, but he has been wildly unsuccessful at finding anything because, like I said, most of it's been picked clean. So he's just spending summers in the desert. Um, digging up rocks and he is almost he is very close to having his funding cut by uh, Lord Carnarvon who's his financier employee <laughs> but he find he find what is it Greg um, a water boy yeah was bringing water <laughs> to workers and accidentally dislodged a rock and found a staircase into the ground. Oh my god! So it's, yeah. To me, it's crazy that the, this uh, this archaeologist dude's getting all this credit for finding it when it was actually this kid that tripped yeah, on this some, rock. Some eight-year-old <laughs> Egyptian kid. Yeah, that that kid really deserved all the credit. I mean, he didn't do the rest of the digging, I guess, or direct anything. <laughs> but <laughs> that's that's the one who it's found like it first. Movie, he, finders keepers. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Those are the rules. Then yeah. Um, I don't. I don't make them. <laughs> I don't. I don't make them. <laughs> Such a pussy way to say that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Craig. Uh, now, so there is a picture of this, but they can tell right away, at least uh, to their knowledge, this tomb was untouched because the door was still closed and there was a uh, rope, an un- unbroken rope around the handles to the door, I guess. Because that's hard to replace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, well, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think it had like it was waxed and had like the stamp oh. of some sort of, you know. We did talk about the robberies a little bit already, right? No, not the robberies of this of this tomb. Okay. Well, do we want to talk about that? Because that was way before any yeah, of this ahead. happened. Sure. Okay. So, um, from what I understand, there was two two robberies of King Tut's tomb. Because I think it was like there was certain oils and spices and things like that that they found like remnants of in like empty pots that really should have been filled with stuff. Because like logically, like the rest of the tomb had, you know, all the stuff was filled, um, especially with like gemstones and things like that. But they actually took things that were more like practical. So it seems like they were, you know, in need of of, of stuff and ran across this place and took it. But um, I don't Do know you if mean, they ever um, oil in. As in, like, that's what they used to, like, preserve stuff? Or the thieves came in, took stuff, and were like, hey, 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 here's oil. 
I don't know. That might be an impossible question. Like I think it was I some just, sort of exotic yeah, oils or Greg, something like there? that. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. Can't I'm, you tell uh, us? I'm a lot older than I look. <laughs> so it was. They were looking for metals, glass, cloth, oil, and cosmetics. Uh, or oils, it says. So I imagine, like you know, I did. Various... I did wonder why um, that was what they took and not any of the nice stuff. But I do have one kind of. After some time to think about when I was reading about this, our operational knowledge of, if you'd call it that, of the Pharaoh's curses. We have so little. And we're, yeah, we're only going off <laughs> of the things that are written in the tombs, and we don't have anything else about it because the culture around death in ancient Egypt was like, it was so sacrilegious to even talk about robbing a pharaoh's grave like you you could not get away with writing that stuff down anywhere because my understanding is that hieroglyphs or hieroglyphics were used only for like official stuff that wasn't like what the people wrote they had their own script but even then i think at this point it was still mostly like scribes were the people writing stuff right I imagine I would believe that yeah. this long ago it's not like you were going to grade school and learning how to write yeah so the only people writing stuff are like probably part of the the government um wasn't that a whole like a like an entire class of people scribes yeah like, yeah for sure uh, you'd probably like I bet it wasn't even up to you it's probably your parents were like I'm yeah. a scribe you're gonna be a scribe I'm going to teach you how to write. Born that way. Yeah. But I want to be a dentist. I think being a scribe would be the <laughs> sickest job in the world. If nobody else knew how to write, you were the guy that could. I would love it's to true. be a scribe. There's so much power in that. Absolutely. Oh, my Pan God. Mighty, yeah, folks. that's a good point. <laughs> Just knowledge-wise, you yeah. know, because that means you can read, so. Oh, and the other, another point I wanted to make is the discovery of King Tut's tomb kind of kicked off Egyptology. Uh, this just the kind of fascination with ancient Egypt because... I guess most of what we had significantly before that point was the pyramids, you know, the Sphinx, stuff that really stuck around. The big stuff. But, it, you know, is for a lot of time, it was just like, it was just history. There wasn't people that were obsessed with it. And I think that this being the big discovery that kind of kicked that off, I feel like for a long time in my life, I thought King Tut was like a super dope pharaoh and was like yeah. revered. But it was really just they found his tomb like untouched all of his stuff was there and so we have a lot of like information about him but I, my understanding is he actually died very young and just had like shitty health like, had, i think when he was dead he had like a broken leg and he had abscesses and wounds on his skin and stuff god sheesh well that's i mean like that's that's a huge complaint and downside of any history like this old right like we we ha- we know this guy named Herodotus, right? Who we call like the father of history because he wrote the first like history of any event that we could find. Mm-hmm. But he could have just been like Joe Schmo, traveling around, writing down what he sees. Yeah, you know. But that's like all that survived. So like that's our that's the history. Mm-hmm. Paul, go ahead and hit us with the Call of Duty Modern Warfare two quote. Okay. What? That's fine. Uh, I trusted you on that one, but when the uh, would you switch, switch to your other weapon? It's faster than reloading. <laughs> I was gonna say. Um, was a general general? What's his name? Shepard. Sure. Uh, the first. Strange. The I first think? cut. Like, if you select campaign, 
history is written by the victor. Yeah, that's oh. the very first thing you hear in the campaign of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Oh. I would hope someone else said that before him. <laughs> I really hope he's. I hope like, was, video game characters not, not that, the yeah. first profound person who quote said was that. cooked up in an Activision writing room. <laughs> yes, Infinity Ward made it. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Props to Howard Carter. This worked marvelously for him. I mean, this was this made his career obviously, and he, I will say, right off the bat, totally unaffected by this curse, alleged curse. Uh, he lived like forty years after or something, and then just died of cancer. I think. To consider here, a lot of things could just be totally false because this seems a little fantastical. But this is this was corroborated by the New York Times, and this is a story told by Sir James Henry Breasted, which is I mean it's literally Breast and then Ed. I found that very funny. He was <laughs> uh, a contemporary of Carter. He was with him on the dig, and he said the day they found it, Carter sent like a messenger boy back to Carter's house to get something. And when the messenger got there, he heard faint crying from inside the house. So he goes in, and Carter's beloved pet canary is dead in its cage in the mouth of a cobra. A cobra got into the birdcage and ate his bird. And the cobra cobra is the symbol of the Egyptian monarchy. Kind of like symbolism. Spooky. Yeah. I thought, as you were describing that, he just like his canary just dropped dead in the cage and i was gonna be like that's weak as shit like canaries are notoriously (laughs) easy to kill yeah (laughs) but that's crazy not exactly a bird of prey (laughs) oh dear when they bring canaries down into mines do they die when they yeah absolutely ah bummer because they'd be be tweeting or whatever and then if your canary stopped tweeting you're gonna get out of there that's a very Flintstones way to approach that problem. Hey, it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in the mouth of a cobra, that's nuts. Yeah, that is a, that's some symbolism right there. There's some weight to that for sure. The first human death associated with this is actually Lord Carnarvon, the financier. <laughs> who He went into the tomb with Carter. Uh, when, he, oh. when Carter told him that they found the tomb, he instructed him via telegram to not do anything else like he'll he's like all right you got your funding i'm not gonna fire you but don't go in there until i get there so it's like what three weeks probably england uh cairo and back then 1922 yeah probably to take a hot air balloon most of the way yeah yeah that's when this is all going down like the the beginning of the excavation of the grave when like the water boy tripped was that after you thought dan yeah it was later than i thought but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, people were flying, but probably not to Egypt. Like, certainly not direct flight from Heathrow. Dr- yeah. Definitely not direct flight. They were taking a dirigible, better yet. A bygone era. Damn, I could talk for hours about Zeppelins, but <clears throat> it's not what we're here to do. Episode idea. It's a different... So Lord oh, Con- that's a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Armchair airship. Uh, <laughs> They're across the street. <laughs> airship. So Lord Carnarvon has a mosquito bite on his cheek, and the esteemed gentleman is shaving one day, and he nicks the mosquito bite. I think this is just pretty shortly after this whole thing. I think like a they, week. Yeah, it was a week after they found that 
He's shaving, nicks the, nicks the mosquito bite, gets a blood infection, drops dead three days later. The media went wild with it. That's when everybody was like, there's a curse. Don't do that. You know, people are freaking out. It got <laughs> the media fervor was enough that Benito Mussolini, he had a mummy in his, Greg, what was that? Was that like the equivalent of the White House that it was in? No, it was in some public uh, <laughs> some public building or public square or something like that. Okay. Let me let me look that up. Yeah, he had been gifted a mummy, and he he ordered it to be tossed out. Uh, so the whole country like, was cursed. Yeah, pro- probably. That's uh, why and, they lost the war. And Sir yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle, the fellow who wrote Sherlock Holmes, he publicly says that Carnarvon was probably killed by ancient guardian spirits in the tomb. Uh, you know, of course, people loved hearing that. And um, what really what really sold the whole curse thing for people was the first autopsy of King Tut. There is a lesion on King Tut's cheek, the exact cheek and pretty much in the same area as where the mosquito bite was that got him. Um, so that's when really everybody's like, boy... The pharaohs are out to get us. They're going to kill us. Gentlemen, I'm... A fellow by the name of Bruce Ingram is friends with one of the Egyptologists that was part of the initial uh, dig. The Egyptologist that was on the expedition gives a, an, an incredible gift to his friend Bruce Ingram. It is a mummified hand. I get, like Probably not King Tut's, right? But... Maybe from the yeah they didn't they put a lot of people down there. Whenever they would, oh, I guess maybe like all of the servants. Didn't like, the servants yeah. have to die with the yeah. pharaoh? Um, so they carry over to the underworld. Yeah, or still, I'd take it. I don't care whose hand it is. God, I, I, That's cool. I would hope if I, if I was a pharaoh, I, was, I would hope I wasn't going to the underworld. But I don't know how does that, Paul? Do you know I, anything about? I think I thought everyone goes to the underworld. That's that's probably true. I know that it just they're. they're heaven i guess i just remember reading once that the kind of egyptian idea of the afterlife is like actually yeah i think you're right i think it's pretty brutal for like no matter who you are and they like they weigh your heart against a feather i think and then uh they as in you know gods i guess (laughs) and that determines how severe your punishment is or something i've also heard that description you know what's the craziest thing about that uh, mummified hand that dude was given he used it as a paperweight. Yeah. That's what he was giving it to <laughs> use as. Um, and so this, awesome. the the hand had a, a bracelet with, with stylized as like a scarab beetle. Do you have the quote? Because it's I do fantastic. Have the quote. This is, I, first off, I would never in a million years accept this as a gift. Absolutely not, if I knew what this said. This is a mummified hand. It's got a bracelet. Inscribed on the bracelet is, Cursed be he who moves my body. To him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. And Ingram's house <laughs> burns down. <laughs> um, and then the house oh is rebuilt gosh. and then flooded. So there's the fire and, then, and water. Um, I, I wish I could say. He, he also lost all of his possessions in the fire. It, yeah. it, compl- it was a complete and total loss. Jeez. He threw the hand out. What if it's smart move? He got rid of <laughs> yeah. It. yeah. What if it's not an actual curse and Charles Dickens is just making this happen to everybody? <laughs> uh, wow. Kind of strange you say that. Alistair Crowley, the father of, not the father, but, you know, prominent figure in early occultism. Yep. He uh, claimed that he himself caused all of the, through power of magic, caused all of the, he was so disgusted by the fact that they had invaded this 3,000-year-old tomb. 
that he cursed them. Yeah. Man, people are weird. Yeah. Crowley was a very interesting man. Uh, the following year. Why do you want to upheave your. Nah, go ahead. The following year, George J. Gould visits the tomb and uh, shortly after develops fever and dies. 16th of May, 1923. Was he the one who was the. Like half brother, step brother, or something like that. Of uh, no. Okay. The, yeah, that's kind of funny. The Lord Carnarvon, he had two half brothers. There we go. And they both also fell ill and died. And one of them even said, "What did he say?" It was like, "That my family is doomed," or something like. Something terrible is going to happen to my family <laughs> is what he said when he walked into the tomb. <laughs> when he walked into the tomb, or something dreadful, yeah. I think is what he said. Something dreadful is going to happen to my family. Yeah, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> He's certainly not wrong. The fellow who took over for Howard Carter, A.C. Mace, he worked in the tomb from 1924 to 1928, right, right, basically right up until he died of arsenic poisoning. Can't imagine how, like, what. Jeez, we're talking about arsenic again. What? Um, or no, it was cyanide last time wasn't oh, okay. it? Cyanide um, was last time. What? What possible reason was? Is arsenic like a preservative? I believe so. Okay, that might explain it then. Maybe some of the preserved stuff in the jars, all those good he- human bits in the jars, had arsenic. Human on. bits? I don't like that description. I like my bits whole, yeah. please. <laughs> and inside. And living. Any thoughts during this brief intermission? You're doing great. Awesome. You sound great. Look great. God damn. Yeah. Dan, that's why you're I keep beautiful, you around, man. <laughs> and Paul, you're not doing so bad yourself. <laughs> you got a future, kid. <laughs> Yikes. People pay this top dollar to have you Holy yes, shit. What's up, Greg? Uh, there, I was uh, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for arsenic, and I'm reading the military section for the under under the uses. Uh, don't uh, look at that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that part. I'm sorry, that's don't, been redacted. Don't look at that. <laughs> it was a uh, World War One era it's stuff, a- so like you, you can imagine it's pretty, uh, it's pretty bad. You're off the hook, Paul. We had a uh, <laughs> before <laughs> my time. Before your time, the United States a built bit. a stockpile of twenty thousand tons of weaponized lewisite, organo arsenic vesicant, which is a blister agent and lung irritant. Oh. It was neutralized with bleach and dumped off the Gulf of Mexico in the 1950s. Neutralized with bleach? Yep. Jesus. Uh, I'm stored in Montana. Then there was also Agent Blue used during the <laughs> Vietnam War. Agent Blue, you say? Agent, Agent Blue, Blue is a mixture of sodium cacodylate and its at and its acid form as one of the rainbow her- herbicides to deprive North Vietnamese soldiers of foliage. How many did the, those are they have? Rex? How many agent? Yeah, like, the rainbow herbicides. Let me. Let me what is that? Dow Chemical. No, it was Monsanto, wasn't it? It was Monsanto and Dow Chemical that made Agent Orange, wasn't it? Likely both, yeah. A master class on evil businesses. Just yeah. like Pioneer and Sukup at that point. Yeah. <laughs> you have Mondelez, entire, uh, why oh, not? Uh, there's, uh, there's a lot. Agent Green, Agent Pink, Agent Purple, Agent Blue, White, Orange, Orange 2, Orange 3, oh. Enhanced Orange, Orange Plus, Super Orange. Come on. Uh, super orange. Doe, doe herbicide <laughs> M3393. <laughs> There's so many more. Um, Dude, if if something bad happened, well, okay, I shouldn't say if Sukup did something bad because they did a lot of shit bad, but if they, like, if people actually got upset about it, that'd be like half of Iowa State's campus that you'd need to rename. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why is Agent Orange the one we always hear about? Was that just the most effective or the most, Probably like, most widely used. produced? Yeah. Well, there was Agent Orange well, 2, Orange, Orange 2, Orange 3, too. Orange Plus. Yeah, like, 
super orange. Paul, I pointed your pictures if you would like know that I was doing that when I uh, what, what did you say, Paul? Well, and it, like it affected a lot of our soldiers as well. Oh, I'm sure. You know, because everyone came back with cancer yeah. and shit. Oh yeah. Or the other ones that good... just died. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Might be good headline material too. You know. I was Agent totally okay Orange. with Agent Orange until U.S. lives were affected. <laughs> oh, that's how it works. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Come on. The public credibility of this podcast just takes <laughs> hit after hit after <laughs> hit. Um, now, we're definitely uh, a tinfoil hat podcast. If we ever yeah, make it to I'm like it's over a million listeners, we gotta we gotta delete these old episodes. No, I'm gearing up to be the next Alex Jones. You ever uh, <laughs> you ever see the maps of the areas affected by like uh, defoliant agents, like herbicide sprayers in Vietnam? Because it's a it's a pretty significant chunk. Kane, look at this. Is it the whole thing? Oh no, it's it's not the whole thing, but it's like it's a large chunk of the country. Yeah. What would you say? Fifteen percent. Send it in Discord. Yeah, I'm not in. Greg's not in the oh. Discord. Um, oh yeah. Now, Greg, I got to be honest. You seem the most well versed on this. You wanted to talk about what caused some of these deaths, like actually. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are just like probably coincidence. Just wrong place, wrong time. They just happened to be around the time that this tomb was discovered. But there was, they kind of recently, I think, it might have been as it might have been as long ago as the eighties. They kind of figured out what might be causing some of these sicknesses. Yeah. What do you got on that? Well, the biggest the biggest thing that caused them to like look into this was that what year is it, like two thousand thirteen or something like that? Maybe it's in the nineties. I'm getting things mixed up here. But a uh, two thousand thirteen or the nineties. Oh yeah. <laughs> Felt the same for me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. a modern researcher at one of these tombs uh, got sick and died, and so they, there was like an effort put into oh, to like right. figure out a little bit more about it. C- Congress, Congress was like, "Let's figure this one out." Yeah, and uh, okay, it was definitely the '90s then. Nobody was doing shit like that in 2013. <laughs> Congress. What they figured out was that there's like crazy mold and bacteria. Who'd have thought? You know. 3,000 year old tomb that there'd be bacteria that people like now cannot handle. Yeah. You know, immune systems have changed in the past 3,000 years, if you'd believe it. Yeah. Could you imagine having like just an open sore or something like that and going in and getting 3,000 year old bacteria on you? You know, like <laughs> that's just dangerous. Like, no wonder they died, especially in like the 1920s when, you know, like just medical treatment wasn't what it is today. Where once you got sick, it was you were already dead. I mean, <laughs> like, at least something serious. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you're toast. So, I mean, that kind of explains, I mean, even a modern death was, was, you know, possible. And it, that yeah. was, yeah, I found a lot of black mold. Yeah. Among other, you know, like Greg said, bacteria as well. Anything you guys want to say about this, this thing of ours? <laughs> I mean, the podcast as a whole kind of expressed this, but I just want to reiterate how crazy it is, how quickly so many people started paying attention to Egypt and ancient Egyptian culture and mythology and rulers, like, is and still to this day, like, I mean, in grade school history class, you learn about ancient Egypt. That shit doesn't have, like, anything to do with us. Yeah, we spent a whole lot of time talking about ancient Egypt in sixth grade in my curriculum. Yeah. We went on a, we went oh, on a yeah. field trip to go see a mummy. I didn't know. To Egypt? To school. Egypt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as, as elementary school students, I that's where we went. Saw... Grab a shovel, kids. I think I saw King. I think I might have seen King Tut's mummy. Where at? Like a Smithsonian. Oh shit! Well, it was. 
it was sarcophagus in a movie called Night at the Museum. <laughs> oh, you're right, Paul. It might have just been his sarcophagus. Because I don't think they've opened it, or have they? They they autopsied the body. Have they? Okay. Yeah. Um, but I know that I think. Uh, I know I saw it in like a museum. Don't they like, it was like one of those travel? traveling exhibits? I was gonna say it travels. It. Yeah. Or it, or it's a replica, and the, the real one is probably mm. Smithsonian somewhere. But how do we get that, man? Like the U.S. Uh, how does U.S. get everything? Yeah, Smithsonian. I don't know. Pretty it has big. Cause a little just, turmoil in the country that you want to take some stuff from. Acquire it. This is mine now. 